Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. may be seated church we are so glad that you have joined us for a time of worship and celebration hey before we get going this morning can we just celebrate all that the lord is and all that he has done for us come on he's been better to you than that he is good and he is faithful Hey, we want to welcome all those that are joining us online this morning. We are so thankful that you have joined us for a time of worship as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and join me in Daniel chapter 4 to kind of catch you up in case you have not been with us over the last several weeks. What we have come to understand and what we have come to know is that in around 597 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, he took siege of Jerusalem of Judea, and he took about 10,000 individuals into his place of providence and rule, not with the purpose of enslaving, but with the purpose of indoctrinating. In other words, he did not want to be this pharaoh of sort. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, he was one of the top five general masterminds of all time. I mean, he was not an armchair kind of general. He actually fought side by side with his soldiers. But really, what made Nebuchadnezzar stand out from all the other generals and rulers and kings was his strategic mindset. And he came to the conclusion, I, I don't want to be like Pharaoh and always have the proverbial boot on the neck of those that I take captive or take hold of. Instead, I think that I can actually benefit from them. So I want to assimilate them into our culture over about a three-year time span so that they will actually become a part of us and we can benefit from their knowledge and their power and their influence. So he first, in 597 BC, he he took 10,000 of the professionals. And when they came into the culture, Hananiah, the prophet, stood and said, listen, hey, don't be deceived. Don't you dare assimilate into this culture. We, we have to separate. As God's people, we have to separate. And, and so they lived on the outskirts of the kingdom because Hananiah said, if you assimilate, then you will actually become like the people. But then Jeremiah, he steps up to the mic and he says, listen, uh, we don't want you to assimilate. God doesn't want you to assimilate. But God doesn't want you to isolate either. He doesn't want you to separate. He actually wants you to influence the culture that you are called to love with a kingdom perspective. So you, therefore, will be known by two names. You will be followers of the one and only and true God, but you will also be a part of this culture that seems oftentimes foreign and frustrating and confusing, and there's going to be brokenness, and there's going to be anger, and there's going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be political upheaval. There's going to be politicians that make promises that they, they can't fulfill, 
And you're going to feel the tension of that because you're going to carry and be known by two names. And because you're a part of this culture, you're going to be tempted at times to, to bow to idols, to put things in front of God. Things like, like national pride and, and things like the promise of a better and brighter future, even though this isn't, isn't your home, you're going to put your hope in savings and what you can store up in, in, in silos. You're gonna be tempted to put things often in front of God and you're gonna have to choose what is it that you're gonna, you're gonna bow to. Jeremiah says, I don't want you to assimilate. I don't want you to separate. I actually want you to be identified as God's chosen people with the purpose of influencing, ushering in change, ushering in a proper perspective. So every step you take, you take it for kingdom's sake. Daniel was used in a powerful way 10 years later as he came into this culture using the backdrop of Jeremiah's instructions and message. So Daniel, he, he didn't assimilate. He didn't isolate. He didn't separate. He actually took on some government roles and responsibilities with the purpose of influencing them for the sake of the kingdom to usher in a new perspective, a godly perspective in a culture of constant compromise. And what we see in Daniel's life was this wasn't easy. He had to stand courageous and bold as culture demanded him to compromise. And Daniel said, I, I won't do it. I am a man that is known by two names, but I only have one identity. And my identity is secure in God's call, in God's promise, and in God's plan. And then we see how Daniel influenced his friends and his peers. And even in the midst of persecution, we learn that if we're going to be courageous, we, we may not be spared from the furnace or from the fire, but what we are promised is that we don't have to enter into it or experience it alone. That the one true God that we love, that we serve, that he will always walk with us. So once again, the question that we are going after is how can we have courage in a culture of compromise? But more specifically, what we're gonna learn today is we're gonna learn four keys to courageous confrontation because if we're gonna live in this culture, confrontation is inevitable. And we've all seen it. If you watch the headlines, if you are on social media, if you read the news, you get stirred up, you get passionate. You build your soapbox and you stand on it boldly and you yell for all that will listen. But Daniel lays out four keys, four principles, four instruction, how we can be courageous in our confrontation and pursue a kingdom and usher in a different perspective because we've all experienced confrontation done wrong. 
In fact, many of us here today, we have actually been wounded. One of the reasons or the deterrents are the roadblocks that actually have kept us from becoming a part of a church for so long is because we expected more out of Christians. And they have confronted us in a way that was not godly, that was not positive, that did not usher in hope or a proper perspective. So it is in that understanding that Daniel chapter four, beginning in verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in the palace in comfort and prosperity. This word prosperity translated literally means peace. Now, what's interesting to note about Daniel chapter four, it is the only scripture that was written by a pagan king. In other words, Daniel chapter four is Nebuchadnezzar's handwritten journal. It is his letter. It is his decree. It is his testimony that went out to all of the land to serve as a lesson in what I believe serves as a playbook for courageous confrontation. And what we see in verse four of Daniel chapter four is Nebuchadnezzar's confession that I was living pridefully. There was peace. There was comfort. And I believed that I had created it, that I was actually the one that was sustaining it. But God, like God does when pride is existent in our lives, he shakes Nebuchadnezzar by the shoulders in order to get his attention. So verse five, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. And I saw visions that terrified me as I laid in bed. Have you ever had a dream and woken up and believed that it was reality? Like, have you ever had a dream? And in the dream, you got into an argument with your spouse. So then you woke up and you thought that that really had happened. So you were mad at them. Me neither. I never had, that, never had that happen either. But if it did, you know, it's possible. Dreams have a way of, of, of shaking us. Dreams have a way of revealing things that are just below the surface. And Nebuchadnezzar, he had this dream that a, a tree sprouted up from the ground and that it raised and skyrocketed heavenward. And it was the most majestic, the most beautiful, the largest tree that he had ever seen. And the tree represented his kingdom. But then suddenly, as everyone stood admiring the beauty and the size and the beauty of this tree, a messenger came down from heaven and chopped the tree down leaving just a stump. And the messenger said these words, the high God rules human kingdoms. He arranges kingdom affairs however he wishes. He makes leaders out of losers. And what the messenger was saying is that Nebuchadnezzar, you have believed the delusion, the lie, that what you have, what you possess, the power the authority, the position, and the possessions, you believe that you have earned them. That you, your work, your wisdom, your strength, your ability, you have believed the press that you deserve this, that it is all by your hands. Therefore, 
God who is sovereign, who is good, who is all powerful, he's gonna destroy your kingdom. He's gonna start with you, but he's gonna leave this stump so that there's always this way back. There's always this way of restoration. Anyone could have interpreted this dream. Nebuchadnezzar, make no mistake about it, knew what this dream was revealing in his heart and in his life. But he didn't want to get it wrong, so he called all the wise men once again before him, all of the astrologers and all those that said that they could interpret dreams effectively. And he said, who wants to interpret this dream? Who knows what it means? And all the wise men said, I, I, King, I, I don't know. I have no idea why. Have you ever heard the adage or the phrase, don't shoot the messenger? The reason that we have that phrase or that adage is because the rulers and leaders and kings of the time, they would actually shoot or kill the messenger as a, an attempt to destroy the curse. If you destroy the messenger, then maybe it won't actually happen. So in the midst of confrontation, what potentially could be confrontation, all the messengers, they refuse to address the king, to tell the king what it is that the dream actually means. But then Daniel shows up. And the question that we have is, will Daniel be bold? Will Daniel interpret and address? Will Daniel lean into the conflict? which leads us to our first point. How do we courageously address conflict in our lives? How do we have Christian criticism but not become a critical Christian? Relationship needs to be the context of all confrontation. You see, Daniel had developed over many decades a relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar. When we first see Daniel enter into Nebuchadnezzar's life, he is this young teenage boy. But in this moment, Daniel is between the ages of 45 and 50 years of age. He's developed a relationship. He's developed trust. As we will see, Daniel actually loves and wants what's best for Nebuchadnezzar. Josh McDowell, he writes, rules without relationship leads to rebellion, but truth without relationship leads to rejection. And, and isn't this true? For so long, we as believers of Christ Jesus, we have been willing to confront to address the wrongs of our culture, but not been willing to develop the relational collateral that was necessary to develop a platform to be heard and to usher in the change. So how do we know if we have a relationship? How do we know if this exists in our lives? Well, there's a question that we can ask, and the question is this, have I intentionally invested in a relationship with the person that I am confronting? Social media has many great qualities, I've heard. But one of the things that it does not do well at 
is creating a platform of confronting. So we sit back in our living rooms, hidden behind a screen, and we're willing to confront and call out all the wrongs of the world or all the sins of individuals, believing that that will actually usher in the change that we desire, that we would like to see. I have never had anyone say that through an email or, or through social media or through a blog or through a forum that they have seen the life change that the individual that was offering the criticism desired. Why? Because relationships are always absent. There's actually YouTube channels now in which Christians offer critique and criticism of other churches and other Christians, not bringing in the godly way, the biblical laying out of how we are to address conflict and how we are to confront one another in a godly way, but they actually bring in criticism with the purpose of creating cliques, which creates revenue for them. There are too many brides of Christ walking around today with black eyes. In other words, if you are unwilling to develop a relationship with the individual that you are criticizing, Scripture would say, then you need to bite your tongue. You need to hold your voice. You need to hold your opinion. If you're not willing to do the hard work of developing a relationship with them, then don't offer criticism about them. Which brings us to number two. Restoration should always be the goal of confrontation. If you are criticizing or confronting, not with the purpose of restoring which is always why God convicts and leads and addresses and confronts. If the purpose, if the win is not restoration, then it is not of God. Daniel lays this out beautifully before us where he says this. He said, the goal for most of us when we confront is to win. We confront in an effort to be right, not in an effort to restore. Do you know where we see this played out so often? In our marriage relationships. What I have learned is in meaningful relationships, when I win, but you lose, we both lose. In other words, in life, in regard to meaningful relationships, in regard to being courageous in when you confront or when you offer criticism, you have a choice to make. There's two deals on the table and rarely can you take both of them. Do you, would you prefer to make a difference or to make a point? And if you are just simply trying to be right by making a point, by winning the battle, then Daniel would say, be cautious. That is not godly conflict resolution. The question that we have to ask in this moment is, am I confronting to be right or am I confronting for restoration? 
Would I rather make a point or would I rather make a difference? So let's look at Daniel, how he addresses this verse 19. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. And then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. So Belteshazzar replied, I wish, king, the events foreshadowed in your dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. Do you see what Daniel was saying in this moment? King Nebuchadnezzar, I am for you. I've developed a relationship with you. I, I, I love you. I only want what's best for you. And the dream, in fact, I, I wish it, it didn't have anything to do with you. I wish it had everything to do with your enemies. Why? Because I want what's best for you. Which brings us to Daniel's playbook number three. Humility is the posture of effective confrontation. Most often when we choose to address conflict or offer criticism, we choose to address a symptom and not the root of the issue. And what Daniel knows that Nebuchadnezzar also knows that no one else is willing to call out Nebuchadnezzar's life is that the root of this issue is pride. And when you are going after confrontation with a prideful heart and not a heart of humility, when you address pride with pride, you will always divide. And the way that we always have to address confrontation or conflict in our relationships is with a heart of humility, with a heart of, I want what's best for you. Galatians chapter six, Paul says this in verse one. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. But be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So the question that we can ask ourselves is, do we have a heart of humility? Is, am I confronting with the heart of pride or am I confronting with humility? And the way that we can get to this, the root of this, if you are looking forward to the confrontation, then you're not ready to address the confrontation. If you're actually looking forward to confronting that individual, you're not ready. If you are scheming and creating a path forward, a battle plan, this is what I'm gonna say, and this is what they're gonna say, and then I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna hand it to them, and man, they're gonna be just a heap of rubble when I'm done with them. You're not ready. You can actually, in an effort to help, you can inflict a tremendous amount of hurt. So you have to cultivate in your heart and in your life this humility. Verse 26 says, but the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive, this word receive translated means restored, your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past 
and be merciful to the poor, perhaps then you will come to prosper. This word prosper, maybe you will experience the internal peace, the rest, the sleep. Do you see what Daniel is doing in this moment? Which brings us to number four. Hope has to be given for confrontation to be effective. The question that we ask, am I confronting to provide hope or guilt, shame, and condemnation? Which coincidentally are the exact same things that Christ Jesus came to set us free from. I have come to set you free from guilt, shame, and condemnation. So when you confront in a way that produces guilt, shame, and condemnation, then you are not a messenger on behalf of the Lord God Almighty. You are actually being used in that moment by the enemy because Christ always produces and provides a stump in our lives, hope in our journey. This is what I know. In a culture of compromise, we are going to face conflict. And we are going to have to be courageous in the way that we confront those individuals and those things that we see are not of God. But we always have to desire for restoration, for hope to be present. Why? Verse 37 reveals that Nebuchadnezzar, he He enters into the season of life, of mental illness, of just brokenness, of absolute, just utter spiraling out of control. And I believe that the words and the guidance and the instruction that Daniel offered him, the hope that he produced with his words through faithful obedience, I think that it revealed the key to Nebuchadnezzar out of his misery and despair. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and I glorify and I honor the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the pride, recognizing that I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was was a prideful individual. But because of Daniel's godly way of confronting the sin in his heart and in his life, Restoration takes place. You see, if your goal is restoration, you will always confront with humility and hope. So as I review, if we as Christ followers, we as individuals who carry two names in a culture of compromise, if we are going to address the conflict that exists in our culture, these are the rules that we have to play by. First, relationship needs to be the context of confrontation before you confront through the hard work of building a relationship. Before you criticize, ask the question, are the people that I am talking to, do they actually have the ability to change what I'm talking about? Also, have I spent more time praying about this situation than I have spent talking to other people? about this situation, and if that is true, restoration should be the goal of any confrontation. Not that I'm right and you're wrong, not that I win, not that now you 
feel guilt, shame, or condemnation, but now you're actually restored. And the way that we produce this is humility is the posture. They have to know that we are for them. We have to know that we love them and we want what's best in them. And when we confront, hope is always produced. Hope has to be given when confrontation to be effective. So, in conclusion, has the skin been torn off of everybody's toes in here? Has everybody feels a little bit offended right now? Everybody's mad at Luke, right? That's okay. Don't shoot the messenger, right? We can all do better. We've all failed at this in some way, shape, or form. And if we are going to produce the change that God has called us to produce through the influence that God has called us to steward, then we have to get better and wiser and more godly in the way that we criticize and in the way that we confront. So I need God's help in this, and I believe that you do too. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we ask for that help and seek that guidance. Father God, we desperately need you. We need you to lead us and to guide us. So Father, the instruction or the takeaway or the challenge this week is not to find someone to confront, but instead to take a hard look in the mirror and to begin to cultivate and to establish these skills and these gifts and this guidance in our everyday and Father, to do so because it is so countercultural to us, we're gonna need your help desperately. So Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this day we humbly present ourselves before you and we plead with you, God, if there's anything that is in us that is not of you, Father, this day may we do the hard work of heart work and Father, in every word that we speak and every action that we take and every step that we move forward, may it be with a kingdom perspective of bringing hope and restoration to a culture that seems to be constantly compromising. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Would you please stand to your feet as we close in worship? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.